and welcome back to Film School for Marketers podcast. This is, what episode is this, Mariah? We are in episode 30, I believe. We're episode 30. We're getting like <laughs> over the hill here with, right. with episodes. So welcome back. We are so honored you're here to spend some time with us today. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Zach Basner, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Mariah Anderson. Howdy. And uh, if you're new to the podcast, we talk about video and that's all really you need to know, but especially how you can use video for your business. And today, when you are starting your journey with video, especially with insourcing, uh, insourcing meaning using the staff that you have within your four walls, there's a lot of uh, lessons to be learned when you're trying to do that. And so today, to discuss this very topic, we wanted to pull in a very special guest, somebody who we admire uh, uh, very much. Uh, and he's a videographer for a company called Mozilla Companies. And welcome, Mr. Devin McCarty. Well, thank you, Zach. Thank you, Mariah. I am happy to be here on the podcast. Yeah, man, we're excited. So, um, so you work for Mozilla Companies. For those of us who don't know what Mozilla Companies is, can you tell us a little bit about the company and what your role kind of looks like as the senior videographer there? Yeah, absolutely. So Mozilla Companies is a material handling company. They focus on pretty much anything that you would need to do to perform any kind of work on a job site. So if you're in a big warehouse that has a lot of heavy material that you need to handle, they'll sell you an overhead crane. They'll give you the rigging to use on the overhead crane. They'll provide rigging training, but then they also offer like fall protection solutions and you know all, all kinds of other stuff, pretty much whatever you would need to fulfill the role of a job in a job site. And then they also have a metals division, which is like any metal roof that you've ever seen or like metal paneling that you see on a wall. Um, our company does the coil sheets that's used to go on the wall and then the roll forming machines that you use to manipulate that roll um, of coil into whatever final product that you need for whatever you're going to use it for the application. So they do quite a lot. There's a lot of ground that we cover. And so my role as the senior videographer has been really to start from nothing from outsourcing video content and then to try to apply this inbound methodology to our industry to figure out how to take all the stories and all the products and all the uh, things that we do and try to explain that to an audience um, externally and then internally as well for internal training. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because I think a lot of listeners can relate mm -hmm. to you in a sense that, you know, Mozilla didn't have a videographer before. What was the task that they were giving you in this case? I imagine they probably didn't really have a good idea of exactly what they wanted to do either, but what was your major responsibility when you started off? Yeah, so when they, they pitched it to me, it was based off the training of Marcus Sheridan saying that, you, you know, we, we think that if you go and you really focus on like people that are in school for broadcast journalism, journalists, they have a specific skill set. They're people that are used to working on their own kind of in a vacuum and producing good content. And so that's what they hunted me down while I was going to, uh, to college for broadcast journalism. That's where I was going. And so they reached out to me and just said like, Hey, this is this new project that we're wanting to undertake. We're wanting to really take a new stance on how we produce videos and how we educate the industry. And we want somebody like you to come in and really figure us, you know, figure out with us how to do this. And so from nothing, they exactly like you said, they didn't understand know what they were getting themselves into or how to take it on. So really we just started working, you know, with your team there at Impact to figure out the best you know, practices to use to, to go from outsourcing all your video content to producing all of our own video content in-house. So we've been doing this for almost three years now. Wow. And we've scaled up from just me um, in the videography department to uh, we have three. Now we have two videographers on staff and then one editor that we just hired. So there's an entire videography team, whereas before they were just outsourcing it. It's been a long road. <laughs> it's been a long road. Long and difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
Yeah. So, I mean, that was a few years ago now and, yeah. and now you where you're at now. So Devin, if you were to guess, how many videos do you think you've made over these past few years? Over 400. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, is that for a lot of these, it's not just you, it's using this uh, staff of subject matter experts, of sales folks uh, to help you create this content, which follows this, they ask you answer philosophy. It, it never felt like uh, it was going to be a big issue to get people on camera, but I know there were some things, Devin, that you ran into along the way. And I know you came today with like six things mm-hmm. that you, that now have mm-hmm. gone into your process. Um, but, but can you explain to me though, like, what was it like in the beginning, trying to get people to catch this vision, trying to get them to get on camera, trying to help them be the best that they could be on camera, every, all of that in, in mm-hmm. between. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was awful. I mean, so I, I'll just be really honest with you. So for, you know, so me, not only not coming from a, a marketing background, I had to come in from a bar, broadcast journalism background and then learn, you know, what is this inbound methodology? What is all this marketing stuff? What, who is Marcus Sheridan? What are they wanting us to relate? I had to learn all of those things. And then I had to go learn it, apply it, and then explain it to all these other people who had the same lack of knowledge that I did. So it was, a, it was, it took a lot of time to really figure out how to explain clearly what the benefits are, because there's a lot of people who they're used to just, you know, beating the streets and talking to people in person or like a phone call or an email, you know, they're used to specific things in a specific way. So now you've got to come and say, well, here's this whole new concept of inbound methodology. Here's what it can do. Here's why it can do that. And here's what I'm expecting out of you. And there's just a heck of a learning curve between what the normal industry standards are of performing this task and this whole new concept and trying to get that to resonate with all these other people. And then to have them do something as really intimidating as sit down on camera, look directly into the barrel and then explain whatever they want. So it was very, very difficult in those first, that first year was probably the worst of just constantly explaining, you know, why we're still here and why we're asking for different equipment. And then even the people that, you know, so you're not going to be here next year. There's no way you're going to, you know, this is just a fad and you'll be gone before you know it. And those are real things that we were hearing from other people in our company that this is just something that's going to go away. The CEO just kind of has this idea for something and, you know, eventually he'll just let it go and it'll die. But now we're into our third year. So there was a point where you had to really take ownership of the fact that, no, this is my project. This is, they hired our team to, to fulfill this project. And I'm not going to let anybody get in my way of doing that. So really there's a lot of ownership of just knowing where you are, what you're bringing to the table. And then just, you got to know that you're that subject matter expert in this marketing thing specifically. And as long as you're confident in it, it's pretty easy to get other people to kind of follow you as long as you've got your own confidence in it. I love that. So aside from the confidence piece and kind of pushing through, what other things would you say you did to help make this stick? Really it was consistency and sincerity. So, and like really for me, um, the beginning of last year or actually the beginning of this year, I fired myself. So in my own head, I'm like, I'm not going to be in any more videos if I can avoid it. I want to completely remove myself from the table because this isn't my channel. These aren't my stories. These aren't my videos. This is about our industry. This is about our business. So what I wanted to do was figure out a way to just take myself completely off the table and then just highlight people that are, you know, the best at what they do in their specific divisions. And then while I was kind of workshopping that there, like you had said earlier, there are six things that I pretty much figured out that I could do either before the shoot or during the shoot to really up the quality of comfort uh, for every subject matter expert that came on. Mm. Um, do you want me to just kind of d- dive into that really? Yeah. Yeah. And so before we get into the, <clears throat> so I want to divide them up though, because sure. the, the, yeah. uh, the pre-shoot stuff and the during or yep. post pre and during post okay, is something that I deal with on my own. Yeah. So this is really interesting. So we just started a new virtual peer group program here at, at impact 
And something that came up recently is just how important this pre-shoot stuff is. Having some sort of pre-interview or spending the necessary time with your subject matter expert before the shoot, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it will literally make or break the shoot and the product that ends up coming out of it. Yeah. And so for anybody who might be hearing this, like listen up for what Devin does before the shoot, because it's actually sometimes more important than what you do even during the shoot. So yeah. So um, hit us, Devin. So three things before the shoot. Uh, so I start with the first one. It's pick an expert, not an actor or not somebody who's just available. Uh, one of the worst things that you can do is just find somebody who's got an available time slot, who's good you know, to talk to, is really great with words, and just use that person because they're available. Because now what you're doing is you're really devaluing the content of information that you're trying to relay. By picking an expert, now you have the ability to take somebody who maybe isn't going to be great on camera at first, but they know what they're talking about more than anybody else. So you, you teach on like the, I think it's the rule of threes is what you say. It usually takes you three questions to get to the actual meat of what they're going to say, right? You can't do that with somebody who's just good on camera that doesn't know what they're talking about. And if you give people more and more opportunities to really dig into what they know and why they know it, and there's some kind of like inner strength that happens and you kind of see the change in people's countenance. They sit up a little bit better, they're more focused because they know that you know that they know that information better than anybody else. And there's something that just lets them feel way more comfortable about just getting that opportunity to take the time to talk about it with somebody else. So uh, picking somebody who's an expert first, not just an actor, not somebody who's available. Um, that, that's a really good way to make sure that person that's on camera is going to be really comfortable and, and successful. Uh, second thing is uh, let them practice in advance. So this is why I love Go Video, Soapbox, Zoom, uh, even cell phones. Um, like I said, my training comes from a broadcast journalism background. So in the newsroom, there's people everywhere. They're all working on stories. There's anchors. There's reporters. They're all over the place, and they're all trying to figure out what to do for this broadcast. Now, what you hear in those newsrooms is mumbling, just stammering, and just all over the place, it's just people just blah, 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 and they're going over their lines. They're practicing their, their dictation. They want to see what the read speed is looking like. And so what I found is if you can use, you know, even if they just have a cell phone, if you can give somebody the opportunity to just record themselves on their own, just get them set up and then get out of their way and then just let them practice. They can do repetition. They can do as many takes as they want to, to get comfortable with how they look and how they sound. Because for the most part, with the exception of us, because we're on camera all the time, most people don't know what they look like. They don't know what they sound like. And it's really jarring the first time that you experience that. I mean, I'm sure we're, we're all of you guys started when you started doing video, the first time you hear yourself and you know, you see yourself, it just, you kind of cringe a little bit. So demystifying that by giving them the opportunity to really practice on their own. I've had people that came up to me after they had like a week or so in advance to really practice what they were going to do that couldn't wait to get on camera with me. And like, there's this one guy, Joe, he was so excited. He's like, dude, I've been practicing. Like, this is going to be great. Like you have no idea. Like it was so terrible last week and I'm doing so much better now. And like, I love that. Like those are great for me. Like those are really successful stories of somebody who's going to do this thing that typically would make them so uncomfortable. And now they're so looking forward to it because they're so practiced that they can't can't wait to talk to you on camera. Like that's like that's an awesome win. I love that. So make sure that you give them time to practice in advance for what you're going to do. Uh, the third thing before is really explain the process. Um, we so we did a bunch of like these local landing page branch videos for all the branches in our company. Now before we did any shooting whatsoever, before you know I even referenced the camera, we had a full conversation about what other videos we had made in the past what we are looking to do today, why they were all in the room to really nail the fact that they were experts. And then I started explaining the process because 
for the average person, they watch videos all the time. And with, you know, the affordable equipment that's now on the market or even their cell phone cameras, they can even record video on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. But what they have no idea of is what to do with that video, how it gets edited, how you fix everything in post. People just don't have any idea what that looks like. So really when people are doing a a video with you, all they're thinking is every mistake that they make is going to be on camera and everybody's going to see how many times they say, um, or, and, or stumble or whatever. Now, if you could explain the process of using B-roll and doing jump cuts and how you can kind of cover some of their, you know, switch thoughts, using a multi-camera to switch from one thought to another. If you can kind of explain that part, now they feel way more comfortable, in my opinion, about what to say. And it takes the pressure off of them having to nail it. Uh, Some of the worst people on camera are the people that overanalyze. They're not even really talking to you. They're really just filtering their own brain of what they think they're going to look like, what they think they're going to sound like. And if they start doing that, you lose them because now you don't even have a person, you have an editor. So if you can really just explain that process of what they're getting themselves into, now they get a little bit better of an understanding of what they're going to do and how it's going to work. So they're less worried about nailing it as much as just trusting you to do it and do it effectively. So those are primarily the three things I do beforehand. Really, it's just making sure that they have the correct environment to be successful on camera. So those are before. I love that you pointed out that you give them time to practice and get comfortable and use something like GoVideo or Soapbox and see what they look like. Because it's so true. I think people forget that a big hurdle and why people freeze on camera is those little things. Like, I'm going to sound stupid. I'm going to look stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, But one question I have is, have you ever come across somebody who maybe prepares too much? So they like practice what they're going to say so that it feels maybe a bit cold or scripted in a way because they've kind of memorized it. And how do you combat that? For sure. And so over preparation makes you sound like a robot and it's awful. Um, Even like when, when you're learning how to do public speaking, there's like extemporaneous speaking styles, which is where you just kind of go off of keywords and phrases. And that's my favorite, you know, style of speaking. And then there's like what you see in like a political rally where they're just going off a teleprompter and they're not can say anything else that's on that teleprompter. Mm -hmm. Now, what you have to do with a person like that is just really explain what that's doing, because what they're thinking is that their information isn't really, understood as much as maybe they are. And if you can talk to them in advance and just, just really tell them, like, I know that you know this, I wouldn't be having you on camera if you didn't know this and maybe even let them do some, some of the earlier part of the video, you know, using their notes, but then that's where you need to come in as an interviewer and start nailing your follow-up questions. You know, if you can ask them a follow-up question based off of a response that they kind of read verbatim, normally you can break them out of that little robotic monotone reading part and then start cracking, you know, through that little wall there. If you can get enough cracks in that wall and then eventually take over that interview completely, you only have to use the interview segments that you want to use. And if you're only picking up your your question and answer segments, it's going to sound more sincere, but it'll also let them have the opportunity to read. So then you're kind of getting both. So it's, it's really up to you to, to plant your feet and explain the why and, you know, give them again an opportunity to to do a little bit about what they want to do and then a little bit about what you want them to do as well. If they do practice beforehand uh, and use something like go video or soapbox, do you ever, do they ever send it to you to kind of watch and that way you can provide them tips prior to actual, uh, the actual shoot itself? Yeah. What I, so we've been using Zoom a lot um, for like kind of testing. So like I'll set up a Zoom meeting and then I'll notice that people will come in earlier mm-hmm. and just start, you know, checking their hair and making sure that the background, because I'll, I'll send them in advance kind of a, uh, like a webcam style guide. This is how I think the video should look. This is how you should mm-hmm. set up your camera, you know, get a backpack, put your camera on it and, you know, take care of your background lights and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of people who will just kind of test on their own and then I'll end up seeing it. But rarely does somebody do a bunch of testing and then just send it to me because I think they 
think it's worse than it actually is. Yeah, that makes sense. Love the pre-shoot mm-hmm. uh, process here, Devin. It's like, it's getting like repetition in there. It's getting through the fear of the unknown, getting through the imposter syndrome and allowing them to, to feel comfortable about the process that they're about to get into. I mean, mm-hmm. these are these are the critical things that have to happen in order to make any, you know, most people feel comfortable on camera, but mm-hmm. especially someone who might be fearful of it. So then yeah. we get to the actual shoot uh, happening. What are some of the things that you help build up their confidence or, or make the process go smoother in that stage? Yeah. So again, this all goes back to creating the type of environment where your subject, uh, subject commander experts can succeed. And so it's, sometimes you got to switch the camera's perspective. So for, for you, me, and Mariah, we are really used to looking directly into the camera and talking and not really thinking about it. We know what it's going to look like. And so it's easy for us to just follow the light and look at it. Now, most people don't feel like that. So I would rather always have direct eye contact videos. I think those come across more sincere, but especially for somebody who's new on camera, they might hate the idea of it, the thought of it, and even get in their own head about kind of seeing, you can, like in some cameras, you can see your reflection a little bit. And I see people get really obsessed with how they look in the lens and it throws off their head. So what you can do is switch the perspective completely, just knock the camera over, give it a little bit of an angle, and then have the subject matter expert give some talking room. So now they're just talking to you. Now, if it's just you and them, they're going to be way more comfortable than just looking into the barrel of a lens. And so, yeah, it might take a little bit extra time for you to, you know, reset everything, fix some lighting, you know, switch some background props or whatever, but it's way more worth it for you to have a comfortable subject matter expert than it is for you to do something for the sake of efficiency. That's really lazy. And if you're going to, I don't know, you're, you're asking a lot of these people, you're asking a lot of people who have no training for the most part in this type of field whatsoever, the least you can do is give them the opportunity to make them as comfortable as can. And and something as simple as switching the perspective of a camera is very little in the big scheme of things, you know? What percentage of your content now is interview style versus this talking head style? I'd say over 90% of it is straight direct eye contact videos. In the beginning, in that first year, most of them were that, I mean, my training was broadcast journalism. So all of my videos were shot that way because that's what I was used to. Mm. But then as I started to think about what it's like to actually talk to people, people don't talk to, you know, I don't talk to you guys looking over here. Like that's insane. It seems so insincere. So now, you know, people are starting to see what it looks like. They're starting to feel what the videos are like. And I think there's kind of a, a general consensus of like, oh yeah, we, we like this style anyway. It's just the more that you can show why it's working the way that it's working, the better, you know, and easier it is for you to explain it to other people going forward. Uh, so the second thing, and this is probably one of the most important things, is uh, to eliminate the element of time. Now, I mean, so like right now, I knew that you said that you wanted to run about 20 minutes or whatever. So in my head, I've already got like a concept of like, let's keep this short, let's keep on focus and stuff like that. Now it's okay because we're in the field, we're used to doing that, so it doesn't bother me whatsoever. But again, for the person that's not used to being on camera, the worst thing that you can do is make them feel like they're wasting your time. And so there's a lot, you know, for public speaking, that's the number one public, uh, number one fear that most people have is public speaking. So usually you see somebody who's on stage, they're talking a lot faster, they're a lot shorter with the responses, they want to get off that stage as fast as possible. So if you can really nail down the fact that time is not a factor, I've got this room booked literally all day, we can be here all day if you want to, you know, and that's why I don't schedule meetings back to back. I want you to have as much time as you need to be successful on camera. The second they think that you're looking at your phone, that you're looking at your watch, that you're kind of watching 
o'clock or whatever, you know, you're, you're getting hungry for lunch or whatever. Like the second you lose them and they think that the story isn't as important as your time, you're going to lose them completely. So whatever you can do to like eliminate that fear of the time being wasted or your time being wasted or their time being wasted, you know, if you can remove time as a factor, you can up the quality of comfort level for all of your subject matter experts quite a lot. Yeah. A really common mistake that I see is interviewers who, while the interviewee is answering their question, they'll be looking down and trying to find their next question to mm-hmm. ask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you are being interviewed and this, the person's not looking at you, what are you going to think? You're going to think, well, I'm either not saying the right thing or, or that, I guess that wasn't a good question they just asked or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, and that's because the interviewer is afraid of having some dead space in between the end of the response and their next question. Mm-hmm. It's a very, like, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's just like, it's okay to have some time in between the questions. So don't yeah. get caught up in what your next question is going to be. Just concentrate on what you're doing here. But it's the same, same concept. Anything that's going to, going to make the subject matter expert think that they're not doing good or that this is taking too long or anything like that will, will botch the whole operation. And that feeds into my last one, which is be interested, be engaged and be honest in exactly what you said. So if, you know, if all you're obsessing about is let me nail this next question without really thinking about what they said and what your response should be, because if there's a place where it warrants a follow-up and you don't take that follow-up and your interviewees expecting a follow-up, instantly they realize that you're not paying attention. You're just trying to get through your list of questions. And then now you've lost them because now they know that you don't really care. You're just trying to fulfill a need for a, a video. And then it's really hard to get them recover and to be as comfortable as they were because now they think that you are wasting their time or they are wasting your time. So really just be be honest and be really, really engaged with the conversation. Like if you if you're just looking at a list of questions and not really paying attention, like both of you, if you were just letting me talk and you were like Mariah earlier and then Zach, you both had a couple follow-ups. If you didn't do that whatsoever, I would just be like, well then, you know, you guys don't even really need to be here. I'll just take over this whole podcast <laughs> and then I'll just do this myself. But the engagement has to happen. Like if, if you don't have really legitimate engaging conversation, then you can't really have anything of true value to share with anybody. And then what are you doing? And then while you're having those intense conversations, really be honest about it. If somebody's saying something that's not clear and you don't have, I don't know how to say this properly, if you don't have the stones to stand your ground and say, hey man, that doesn't really make sense to me. Can you rephrase that? Or you you said um, probably 45 times in the span it took you to say a minute's worth of context. I can't use that. I can't. So let me figure out how to ask you that in another way to get you to re-say. And I, I'll tell people in advance, I might ask you the same question three or four different times at different places of the video because I might need you to say it again in a way that makes you say it differently or you might be more comfortable and warmed up now. Or like intros. I'll always shoot an intro at the end of the video and at the beginning of the video because in the beginning, you're going to botch it. You're so obsessed about what you're going to sound like. Your intro, even You usually get your name wrong, your job title wrong. Everything is just terrible. But if you can do that again at the end of the video, they're warmed up, they're ready to go. And if you just left it alone and you weren't honest about the fact that, hey man, you, when you said your intro, you didn't get your job title right. If you, when you said your last name, you actually kind of mumbled it. And then if you send them that video to review and they see that they didn't do as good of a job as they think they could have or they should have, if you were kind of watching a little bit more closely and being a little bit more honest, they're never going to want to work with you again. And so a big part of this is, yeah, getting them comfortable to come on camera the first time, but then comfortable enough with the experience that they're going to want to come back. 
And there's a lot of frequent flyers that I have in my company that are comfortable with being on camera, that they like being on camera, that now they think of different projects that would warrant a video, you know, to, to support it. Like, it's awesome. But you have to take the time to really build that environment, earn that trust. And a lot of that comes down to you being engaged and being sincere and being honest. I'm glad you saved this one to last because this is like a good note to end on as well, which is that if like, like a great videographer, it shouldn't have to fake something like this. They're already obsessed with the way that the buyer thinks. They already know what's going to be a really great answer or be really helpful. And they're already so excited about it that they can't help but be engaged with the content and can't help but be really obsessed with what that end product is going to look like. People like you, Devin. But when you have a videographer or somebody who really, you know, is just there to collect a paycheck and really isn't there to, to help the company become a great educator or become the most trusted voice in their space, well, then that's, yeah, I mean, you, you can see the result in mm-hmm. the, the videos. And honestly, if, if that's your mentality, if you're just trying to grab a paycheck and you're just trying to get through your list of questions, this isn't the job for you. It's really not. And if we weren't trying to do so much to establish trust in the brain to, you know, to build brand affinity, if we weren't doing those things, if it was just a sales goal, then hundred percent come in, get your paycheck, move on with your life, do whatever you want at the end of the day. But that's not what this is. That's not why this works. That's not why people invest in it. That's not why people believe in it. And if you were the kind of videographer that's just trying to come in and, you know, leave as early as you can, then you're really cheapening your value as a videographer. And then the product that you're producing on behalf of the company that's paying you. Man, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the, the episode here today, Devin. Um, if people are interested in what you're doing, and which I'm sure they are, but if they want to connect with you and ask you any follow-up questions, where's the best place to contact you? Probably LinkedIn is the safest place. Just look for Devin McCarty on LinkedIn. Or if you look uh, for Mazelle Companies on LinkedIn, I'm sure you can find me somewhere through there. And if not, they can just ask you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just ask me. That's the path <laughs> of least resistance. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, I would encourage you all to go and check out uh, the Mazella Companies Learning Channel on YouTube. Uh, a lot of great content. Really a world-class example of what it looks like to get your staff on camera, get them comfortable great examples of, of really a company who's crushing it with the Ask You Answer. And so we highly encourage you to check that out. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We're honored uh, to, to be a part of your podcast or video journey. We hope this is very helpful for you. If you have any questions, make sure you drop this down in the comment section below. Like this video if you enjoyed it. And until we see you next time, keep learning. Keep learning.